0: Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles, where we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to fill you in on the latest sale info. April 1st was a Southern Classic sale down in Texas. The 16 bulls offered averaged $3,913 with a high seller of $6,750. The 14 bred heifers averaged $3,439 and the 18 open heifers averaged just over $2,500. Today's episode was a good one. In our business, we can be great at making solid genetic choices for our herd, fantastic at seeing a healthy calf all the way through to their first breeding season, and awesome at producing truly top-shelf cattle. But the reality is, in order to be successful, we have to be more. We have to be salesmen. We have to be master marketers. So to that end, I decided to have a conversation with a cattleman that I think is truly one of the great marketers, Trey Wasserberger of TD Angus. Trey and his wife, Dana, own a fast-growing, truly impressive operation. Last year, TD Angus sold the famous Doc Ryan for over $500,000. And at this year's spring sale, they had more than 300 bulls go through that ring. Trey epitomizes the word hustle and has some great advice for anyone looking to up their bull selling skills. We had an awesome conversation about the importance of selling your whole operation, not just bulls, and even went into the weeds just a little. On some major industry wide issues. I hope you enjoy. I am here with Trey Wasserberger, and I'm going to allow him to introduce himself and his operation to you guys for a few minutes. So, Trey, will you tell me kind of what you got going and who you are?
1: Yeah. Hi, guys. Uh, Trey Wasserberger here. Uh, Me and my wife, Dana, own a uh, registered uh, Angus outfit here in South North Platte. We purchased in 2017 from Bill and Barb Rischel and uh, run about 900 purebred Angus cows and sell about 400 bulls a year and just got done with their annual sale a couple of weeks ago and sold to about 18 different states. And yeah, here we go. Right in the middle of it. Getting ready to breed. So, uh, yeah.
0: So I've known Trey for a few years now. And one of the many remarkable things about Trey is that he is an excellent salesman. He knows how to market the hell out of his bowls and that's why i wanted to bring him on and have a conversation about the importance of being a salesman and of marketing so would you talk about the first step to me in my mind with marketing bowls is your culling practices Mm -hmm. so would you kind of talk about that and what kind of culling practices you use how important of a role does that play for you in your operation?
1: Yeah. I mean, I just said it earlier, we run about 900 and some purebred cows and we, we only market about 400 bulls. So there's about a hundred head in there getting cut. I mean, um, you sound like my banker, like, Hey, where's them other, where's them other hundred bulls? (laughs) They're not bulls anymore. And uh, one of the main reasons why Dana and I got into the registered business was because we were really, really struggling to find a seed stock op- seed stock operator that did such a thing, and and I, I believe that in this business that a seed stock is at the the tip of the pyramid for the industry, and they should know all aspects of it, and they should be be in all aspects of it. So, how do you necessitate? So, in my opinion, the seed stock producer is the expert. He is telling commercial customers what it takes to make have a better bottom line or a better profit margin and that is their job but if he doesn't know what that takes why is he selling seed stock bulls and that really i'd get into conversation with some seed stock operators and not a wife said how many cattle have you fed well i've never fed any cattle have you ever bought back your customers heifers and bred them no i've never done that so how do you know how how are you measuring the progress of your of your program if you don't I do exactly that if you don't measure it and what are we what are we trying to establish here and so we got into it and the first thing I did was we just put parameters on strict weaning and yearling weight and uh, if they didn't hit those parameters <clears throat> instantly got out um, we sort bulls four or five times I mean uh, I sorted bulls the week of the sale I took another five or six bulls off and uh, they go to the feeding pen and that's where they belong and and then, you know, God has his natural way of doing it too. And he knocks them out with a semen check. And and that's good. Um, it's good. It's it's incredibly difficult. But I think you need to have some kind of measuring stick of what makes a sale. And I, I always tell my customers, I'm not going to turn out a bull that I wouldn't turn out myself. Um, I just won't. And, and that's got us a long way. And, and it's got us a long way down the industry in, in a short amount of time. But uh, it's no doubt that this this program is working uh, because of because of those culling practices. And, and every year we 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 raise the bar a little bit more and raise it a little bit more and a little bit more. And uh, these cattle hold up better and, and feet and uh, fertility. Uh, and it's just it continues to just get better and better.
0: So something that Logan and I talk about a lot and toy around with is incentivizing customers to get some of that information back to you. Have you found anything that you think is working really well? What are your thoughts on how we get that feedback?
1: Yeah. So when I, when I was buying bulls as a commercial cattleman, which I think you need to start out as a commercial cattleman and then move your way up into a purebred industry. Because one of my favorite sayings I tell a lot of guys is every commercial cow, every commercial man should run about 50 purebred cows. And every, every purebred guy should run about 200 commercial cows. And we'd have a hell of a lot better understanding of each other if we did. And so it's, it, it, my problem was I was buying bulls that they, they're telling you they're going to genetically make you relevant, but there's no measuring stick. And so that was really hard for me to go by. And I owe it, you know, I'm no different than you or, or Jimmy Joe or Billy John down here. The stoutest bull in the sale we all want. And he's going to bring over my budget. And that was incredibly hard for me to buy a $10,000 goal that I didn't know had genetic relevancy. When I bought this, I had to figure out, when I bought Richelangus, I had to figure out how to measure that these cattle are doing what I'm telling you they're going to do. And one of those is the TD feed test, which you're very, very, very well aware of. First couple of years, you know, we had about two, 3,000 head. Now we're about then we had 4,000 our third year we were at 4,800 uh continues to grow and all it is is just a a way for our customers to feed cattle because let's be honest a lot of people forget what's at the end of the chain and everybody thinks yeah everybody thinks that we're just raising calves and pounds and and it's not my problem what they leave and that is that is bullshit no pun intended um so we 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 invented the feed test and it's and it's a way to incentivize customers. So it was really hard for me to get customers engaged to say, "Hey, you need to feed a penny your cattle, so we can see where you're at and what you're doing and what you need to improve on and what you're doing well." And so, I'll be honest with you, Jed. The first six months, I I couldn't get a lot of people signed up, and uh, they were just like, "Ah, volatility in the markets and." uh grain prices and i can't i don't understand the cme and the board, the board of trade and i'm just they're terrified of it because you know remember the old saying that's the way that's the way dad did it yeah um, dad's yeah dad's never fed them um and they were just scared of them it's something new well we always sell them on superior or sell them at North Platte livestock or all livestock and we're just comfortable with that and i said that's fine i came together with my father-in-law owns olson feed yards and host the feed test we said we need to we need to incentivize these guys to feed these cattle. How do we do this? And Kirk says, what what incentivizes you? And I said, cash. He said, exactly. You need to come up with five of the main profit drivers in the cattle feeding sector uh, and, and, and award five thousand dollars to each winner. I mean, winner takes all. And uh, there's five thousand each category, and it's average daily gain, uh, feed conversion efficiency. Highest yield, highest prime percentage, and highest certified ASB percentage, all which are premium programs in its own right. And, you know, at first, now, at first, it was kind of people kind of dipped their toes in. Um, now we're actually getting live data back, like, you know, actual data back. Uh, my family up in Wyoming uh, fed cattle for years, and we didn't realize we always, we, we drove, we, we have a strict parameter for bulls, and that's moderate cavanese, high growth. I have for pregnancy high marbling. And we, we we have been we have been flat. We have been flat stagnant our whole life. And we didn't even realize it. But our ribeye and our yield, and which is highly correlated, was not adequate enough. I mean, we had just single traits selected for marbling and marbling and marbling that we actually drove down the ribeye and the yield yield in our cattle and it showed. And we didn't know that until we put them on this feed test. And now, for the first time, these ranches get to come to the TD Angus bull sale and say, "I need to work on my ribeye, Trey. What what ribeye?" And that you know, that's I tell them we can't just forget about everything. You know, throw the baby out with the bathwater and forget about everything else and just select for ribeye selection. Uh, we we just need to put it all together. And so I say, you know, one ribeye is plenty for for the consumer. I mean, there's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of packers and retailers that tell me that ribeye, ribeye, it's not about more meat today with the ribeye, it's about better meat. And that's a more consistent product, a highly marbled, consistent ribeye. And so we just need to, the past two years, uh, they've came here and they've bought um, some higher ribeye cattle. And uh, hopefully here in the next year, in the next two years, we see that correlating through its cow herd. So that was a huge incentivization for people to get engaged in the program, and it is completely blown up. I mean, you guys have won the feed test twice now um, and highly competitive. you know there's about 4800 this year. It's highly competitive and it actually has driven I asked our, I asked my friend Greg Goggins who sells these bulls. I'm like, what do you think is is driving this deal?" And, and he said this feed test has totally changed the landscape of what these guys are wanting to accomplish because they know. It's not just me showing up five years ago and saying, I need this bull because he's going to do this. It's, I need this bull because it's going to help my profit at the end. And they buy it.
0: And, and I think uh, there's just real benefits to getting producers involved in some of that vertical integration. And I know that's a naughty word, right? We're not supposed to talk no. about vertical integration. Like how, it could potentially be a good thing. But how dare if, you? If we don't know what our calves are producing down the line, We can't improve. Mm
1: -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so,
0: even if the feed test didn't have the monetary incentives or the shiny belt buckles, just getting your consumers or your producers to see that through to the consumer end is so valuable.
1: Oh, it's incredible. You got to, I mean, I saw an article. The other day, about I mean, this guy flat tore into the Packers. I mean, called them scumbags, and I'm like, you <laughs> literally called them a scumbag, and I'm like, man, I just I work closely with these guys every day. I'm I'm in I'm involved from the conception to the consumer, and I am not going to call anybody in this supply chain a scumbag. I mean, that's just not what this is about. And ranchers are, yeah, no doubt. Look at the profit margin in our industry. Are we getting our are the cow calf guys and mostly the feed feed yards are getting the short end of the stick and carrying the most risk. Yeah. But that's really, I mean, you just gotta be, that's our, you gotta understand if I'm online, if I go on a tirade calling these people, you know, scumbags and I call them on Monday morning and they, to buy my cattle, what do you think that answer is going to be like? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm an advocate for change. I'm an advocate. If you think this is going to help us, I was, I was reviewing the transparency bill this morning that uh, Senator Tester and Fisher are putting together. And man, there's some language in there about government regulation that just really strikes a nerve. And I don't want to be told how to market my cattle. I don't have an AMA um, at all. I don't have a deal with a packer. And I, would I like one? Hell yeah. I mean, I mean, let's be, let's yeah. go. ask see. Yeah. Let's go ask these feeders. Do you want a Packer deal? And I bet 90% of them would say yes. We would love a guaranteed spot to take our cattle. And basically this transparency bill makes us go on the cash market, which is good. I believe in competition. I'm just going down the weeds here, but there's some parts of this industry where people are, we just got to pull the wagon in the same direction. And I'm an advocate for change. If you think this is going to help you and change our market, I, I support you, so I support all of it. But uh, retaliating against our customer is, and I'm telling you, I've been an angry man. And I, June 2020, I, I got 90 cents for my fat cattle, and it was this bad time in my life, and it was really scary. And this pandemic, and we didn't know what was reality and what wasn't. And I was angry, but my solution wasn't to to chastise my customer, right? Andrew, we and we have to remember are are we being being treated fairly? I don't think so. But they do hold the stick and we have to do some individual thought thinking and figure out how to do it because the government will not save you. They're just not, they're not gonna. And this organization is probably aren't gonna save you. Now are they good representation? Sure. Uh do they pick up to the phone and they listen to them in Washington DC? Sure. So you do have to work with them, but uh the one who's gonna pull you out of a wreck is usually the guy that looks at you in the face in the mirror. So
0: Well, the government's had plenty of tools all along that they don't use. So I don't know why we suddenly anticipate that they're going to wake up and say, you know what? We care.
1: Yeah. This isn't a new thought process. We've thought we've been trying to tell the government how to think for hundreds of years and they spit it up and chew it out. Right. What makes you think it's going to be any different? So.
0: Okay. So I'm going to rein this back in. Mm -hmm. A lot of our members, a lot of black Hereford breeders aren't as big. Well, none of them are as big as you, but we've got a lot of smaller guys. We've got, you know, just a handful of guys that are pushing out more than a hundred, a couple hundred bulls a year. So what would you say for these guys are some of the must do's when it comes to marketing? What are things that, you know, whether you're selling 10 bulls or 150 bulls that everyone needs to be doing?
1: Mm -hmm. Let's not forget. And, and one of the best things I've ever heard is Pat Goggins um, said, this is a people business. And uh, at the end of the day, they make good cattle of all breeds and they make bad cattle of all breeds. But people want to write a check to somebody they like and trust. Ninety nine percent of my customers I know on a first name basis. I know their children's names are. Um, it's it's. It's not, I mean, I have people come from all over the country that drive past hundreds of seed stock places to come here. And why is that? Because I firmly believe I hated buying bulls as a commercial man and getting booted in the ass the next day saying, see you next year. That, that was really hard on me to, hey, write a check, take your bull home. Good luck. Don't, you know, if you have a problem, call me. And when I'm going to call you in June with a broken leg. I'm going to be pissed off about it. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's taking care of your, your, your customer. Again, here we are again, taking care of our customer. Can you imagine if I was lambasting commercial a cow calf operator and calling him a scumbag? I mean, I'm just not going to do that. Uh, you have to do, t- whether you like it or not. Uh, these people are our customer and you have to take care of them and go to the ends of the earth. I don't care if it's buying their four H stew. I mean, I don't care if it's sponsoring their T-Ball tea team. I have learned that it's not as much. You know, they want to structurally sound, genetically relevant. They want, to be, they want to know that when they sell their calves, we're going to be there. We're going to make sure they bring the market plus. Um, if not, we can go to the feed test. They want options, and they want to know that they're trying. Does this feed test monetarily make TD Angus any money? Probably no. I mean, probably not. I mean, I buy a lot of our customer calves and put them in there that don't make money, um, and that, that's not what it's about. It's 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 about just making sure that they have an umbrella under them. And I just think there's not a lot of seed stock operators out there that that do that. I I, I feel like that cow calf operator that you know sells his calves and he weans them on the truck and sends them to North Platte and and they're gone. And uh, the first October they just sell there. And I don't. So hey, Jimmy Joe, who bought your steers? I don't know. Um, He doesn't even know who bought him. I mean, we need to continue this. You you said it vertical integration is a healthy business model. And if we're not communicating through the supply chain, there's holes in our system, no doubt. And uh, we need to pull the wagon the same way. So these bull, my bull guys want to know that I'm going to be there for them, not just, and I say that all the time, you know, 364 days a year, we work for you guys. And one day a year uh, you come to the most of the best. And that's, that's our bull sale. And that really resonates with guys. I really think they're like, yeah, you know what? I'm okay. Cause I know I can, Trey's going to answer the phone and go to bat for me. And I think that that's something that was missing when I was a bull customer. And so once again, I think you start at the bottom of the food chain in, in this business and work your way up. And cause you realize that the issues in the seed stock industry was relevancy to the market and to um, just reality and what was real and what wasn't so I kind of took that with me and I've embraced a lot of my commercial upbringing and you know I never owned a registered cow till about five years ago I'm on my fifth year people see my registration number on Angus they're like oh my god like I had one guy tell me the other day he's got a 10-year-old son who's who's been a member longer than I have (laughs) (laughs) that's like that's awesome I mean good for you know he'll be a whatever centennial member and uh, I'm not, but I'm proud of our upbringing proud of where we came from. And and it's the school of hard knocks in reality. And uh, I think that's what the seed stock industry is missing. Um, going back to our roots, taking care of these people.
0: And I think it's important for seed stock guys to remember, you're not just selling bulls, you're selling a program. Uh, and in order for people to buy into your program, you have to get them out there to see your operation, yeah. to see your program.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you, that, you, you said it best. Uh, people aren't just buying the bull, but they're buying the eight generations of cows behind it. And right. not only that whose names on the paper, I tell you what, it's not, I tell, I tell commercial men all the time. I said, it's not the bull you're buying, but whose names on the paper. And that, that they're only as good as that guy's that that family's name on the paper. And you better do business with somebody that's got integrity and honesty. And cause you are buying into a program. This is a, This is amazing to me, but our family will, it takes us five years to go through the supply chain, um, to raise the bull that sires a calf all the way through this, all the way through the feed yard and to the packer takes us five years. That's a huge commitment. Yeah. And you, let's be honest, a, a, a mistake is costly. Yes. And you don't, and you don't even know you're there until you're about halfway through the supply chain. you're like, wow, that didn't work. That's terrifying.
0: Especially Um, in this world of ET and. Yeah, You know, one little mistake suddenly isn't so little.
1: I I, I I I saw a Hereford bull. I probably saw one of the best bulls of any breed I've ever seen at a stud a couple weeks ago with my friend Patterson Freeman. I mean, we were enamored by this bull. We looked him up. His mother was a virgin heifer, and his mother and his grandmother were a virgin heifer that were aspirated IVF. He's got two generations behind him that have never had a calf already. Hmm. I mean, I, and I, I, I'm not, I IVF and, and, uh, you know, put in three, 400 embryos a year. Uh, so I believe in it, but boy, that's fast track in a hurry now. And, uh, I was talking to a Wagyu breeder and he told me that they will take their replacement heifers. These are Wagyu full blood Wagyu, Wagyu, uh, females. They will genomic test them. If they, if she does not genomic test right, I don't care what she weighs, what she looks like, who her mother was. If they genomically don't, uh, she does not excel in the trace that they're after, which is mostly cutability and marbling. Mm-hmm. Um, they put an egg in her as a virgin effort. Hmm. And that blows my mind. I mean, so there's a slippery slope between this Pathfinder cow that's raised a calf every year and, done, and ratioed better than her contemporaries. But is she genetically relevant probably today in the market? No. Uh, 10-year-old genetics are just not worth what they they should be. And so we have this crazy, almost mad scientist, IVFing virgin heifers, virgin heifers, virgin heifers, and uh, that's a fast-paced market. Now, he was phenotypically one of the best bulls I've ever seen. I don't even know how to read a herd DPD, but he was great-footed. He was stout. He was sound through his hind leg. Uh, He's masculine. He was was long-bodied. He's big-pinned, big-pinned but is he going to be a breeder? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we took away the predictability of his pedigree. It's easier to watch. You know, that's what we loved about doc Ryan is there was eight generations of rubies behind him that, that bill or I personally watched. you know, won't be born. And we knew there wasn't a hole in that pedigree. Right. And uh, that's worth a lot, I think in today's market, but.
0: Okay. So if the most important thing is to get to know your customers, allow them to get to know your operation, sell your whole program. What's the opposite side of that? What would you say is one of the worst things or some of the really bad things a seed stock operator can do when they're out there marketing? Uh,
1: You're going to make mistakes. Um, We just talked about it earlier. A bad bull is is probably as as expensive as a mistake as you can make. And we we all make mistakes. Um, Diving into an unproven bull can be very, very costly because you know what? It's one thing to sell his sons but then you're left with his daughters. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge issue. And I, we used a bull here that it was not the bull. Uh, we did our homework and saw wet females and we saw the bull himself. We saw his mother and we kind of knew the pedigree in the back there. And he was not the bull that we thought he was. And now I've got his two-year-old daughters out here that have got probably some of the plainest calves out there. Um, and they moved their way into the reset pin as a two-year-old. Um, and that's costly uh doing your homework on it. I think if you understand the business, if you understand the industry, you'll be able to to cut your mark, you know, cut your risk down a lot uh, for that. Another thing is is I've learned to stay out of the riffraff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, stay off Facebook and and getting in and you know getting caught up in the cliche and, and the the drama that ensues because this is a competitive uh marketplace. And people want to run you down and, and you know, just stay out of it, stay the course, put your chin down, go to work, uh, forget about all the noise. Uh, you know, we talked about that earlier. Uh, wish I cared, right? That's a, that's a saying we <laughs> use a lot. And uh, I believe that today. Uh, just steer the course, believe in your program, take care of your people and uh, you'll be successful. No doubt.
0: This podcast is sponsored by H.I. Slash Cattle Company. Success in the cattle industry isn't getting easier, and you can't afford to chase fads. You need cattle with proven genetics, not the flavor of the month. H.I. Slash Cattle Company, located in the heart of the Nebraska Sandhills, is committed to helping real cattlemen improve their herds with a balanced focus. At H.I. Slash Cattle, we raise bulls with grit that know how to work. There's still a few bulls available for this year. These boys came out of extreme drought conditions and are tough as nails. Videos and photos of the bulls are up on Facebook and the website, h-i-slash-cattle, that's spelled out, h-i-s-l-a-s-h-cattle.com. So what have you seen that works the best for you as far as getting your bulls in front of people? You know, everybody's using social media, print ads, websites. What do you think gives you the most bang for your buck?
1: Man, I, if you're not a fan of social media today, I don't know what it's going to take. There's two things about social media that blow my mind and that everybody has a smartphone today, everybody, and you can reach them. And the way with geo trafficking and data is collected today, you can reach virtually anybody that's looking for a bull. Second, I, I, I love this about social media. Most of it's free. Yeah. I mean, uh, it is, and you know, I buy ads uh, with a lot of papers and and do a lot of radio ads and things like that. But the outreach of social media is huge. And what we've learned from our small, a lot of people are afraid to put their lives out there in front of people. Once again, back to that, uh, the reality of you know taking a few arrows and being ridiculed for something. Um, man, I, my my customers, I hardly ever show a bull. <laughs> on our social media. I do. I'm not, I'm showing you the program. I'm showing you the lifestyle The the calves out on grass or out shipping yearlings or at a customer's branding, or I'm at the feed yard. I just try to, and it doesn't matter if it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Snapchat. I mean, we're on all of it and it's just an opportunity and all that's free. And it shows one of my favorite words in the seed stock industry that needs to be more apparent is transparency. I really had a hard time five years ago getting into a program when I couldn't see the cow herd. Uh, we have a tour coming in today, a group from South Carolina. Uh, we have an open book here, and uh, you can show up any time of the year. We're right off Highway 83. Access is obviously huge. Um, we're lucky to be right off, right off, you know, southern part of the Sand Hills, right off Highway 83. But we, I want you I've, – I've got some of the best cowboys in the Sand Hills buying bulls here just in the past couple of years because they came and looked at the cow herd. Um, I showed some t- our two-year-old heifers to them, you know, with calves on them, wet two-year-olds yesterday to a cowboy, and he said, these are the best set of two-year-olds I've ever seen. I said, yeah, your, your, your cow herd can look like this. He's never bought a bull from me. Um, but he was looking at the program and judging the program, looking at udders and maternal value and feet and the quality of the calves. And the, he, he was really, really excited about, uh, the way the, the two-year-old heifers were carrying their flesh and holding up, you know, with, you gotta be, let's be honest. We got, we got a hundred day old calves out there almost, dang near, you know, 90 some. We started around the first of January and these calves are big and, uh, these it's two year, they're working on these two-year-olds and we're getting ready to breed and, yeah, it's just uh we need to be more transparent as seed stock operators and, and, and accountability. Uh I'm not just gonna sell you a bowl and say, see you next year, I want to buy back your calves and we're gonna figure out if this deal's working for the both of us. Because I, I there's there's a huge secret within the seed stock industry and commercial cattlemen. If their program's not working, there's a damn good chance that that seed stock operator's not either. Right.
0: And it's
1: <laughs> And it's unfortunate that a commercial man has to figure that out, you know, two or three years later, like, boy, my weaning weights have gone down, my fertility, you know, I've got a few more opens a year. This isn't working. Well, go to the well and uh, figure it out. And it's our job as a seed stock operator to bring the most viable, most predictable genetics we can to the market. But it's also the commercial man's job to dissect and, and dive into these, and, and into these hundreds of programs and figure out which one's doing what what you want to accomplish in your program.
0: Absolutely. So you guys have always had a traditional in-person auction sale, Mm -hmm. but I think one of the really interesting things that came out of the pandemic in 2020 was watching a lot of producers come up with different ways to sell bulls. I know your guys' sale in 2020, you were able to move forward as planned, but you were real early. In the Mm -hmm. pandemic, things hadn't shut down quite as bad as they eventually got. Mm -hmm. And so I think we've seen a lot of rise of of bigger guys going private treaty sales. There's been some interesting live but online only auctions. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what your thoughts are on some of the alternative sales styles. And if you think there's a threshold there where, you know, don't try to do an in person live auction if you've only got 20 bulls is there a head number that you would suggest is, is a good threshold for that
1: um in today's world i hate the i, I don't hate the i just the new normal right and right. uh the new normal and what does that look like today and i'm going to tell you a lot of it's just just feasibility these people just want to you can't believe so in 2020 march of 2020 the first uh, COVID positive test in North Platte, Nebraska was on that Wednesday. We had a sale on Friday. Um, My friend and I, Drew Feller and Greg Goggins were in the back. I asked Drew Feller how many people we fed. We usually feed three to 400. He told me we fed 65. Um, I said, wow. Whoa. Okay. And Bill Rischel came around the corner and uh, no one would admit it today. It's a funny story, but we were there was three little boys back there scared to death. I mean, wanting their mommies. I mean, we were, we were terrified. And Bill Richel, showing true leadership came around the corner and said, what are you guys doing? I said, Bill, how we don't, we got 70 people here. How are we going to sell these things? And he goes, you're going to go up there and you're going to sell until you run out and we're going to see how well you've done your homework. And your homework has been done in the last year. And we sold uh, half the offering. We sold over 160 bowls online that day. It was incredible. And that's the new normal. We had guys like, you You come to the sale. and It's an event. We have people from Texas, Florida, Canada, California, and they're all friends today. And it's a big deal, and they love coming here. But since the COVID sale, we've had people and had that have not been back to the sale. And I don't like that. I, I, I'll never, ever go to a video auction. I just believe that as a cattleman, I want to see... Uh, the bull in the flesh in front of me. And I believe that holds value to me as well. I have nothing to hide. I can make, you know, in today's world of editing and, and uh, just technology, I can make a bull look like whatever you want, but I want my customer to see him in the flesh, buy them with confidence and go forward. It. Now I, I saw the other day, big iron is selling bulls. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean like, like 14. Um, no, that's, what what a great opportunity. You talk about those guys that aren't, we, we've get some ranches all over the country that come here because they can buy 20, 30 bulls, you know, and half brothers out of a, you know, out of the Ruby cow family or the black caps or um, the empresses. I mean, they, they love that and they've got a program behind it, but what an opportunity for a young breeder that's got 20 bulls out in his backyard to get in front of these guys that buy them online. I think it's a huge, if I was just starting out, I would be beating the shit out of that drone. I mean, I would, I'd be on every, I'd be on Ranch World ads. I'd be on every social media platform there was saying, I got 20 bulls, private treaty, first come, first serve. Here's the floor. I think you'd be overrun. I think, and I I like it being a little later. Um, I'm getting calls today about bulls two weeks after my sale still, um, you know, have a little private treaty, uh, you know, have a little grill, a few hamburgers, come out and buy a bull for two hours and all and you don't have hardly any uh, advertising cost into it. You just been online or just sell them online and a video auction. We had an embryo uh, auction last year and we're fixing to have another one here pretty quick. And we were selling embryos for a thousand dollars and I uh, had no advertising in all online. Uh, what a, what an incredible opportunity for a young small breeder to level the playing field, in my opinion. And if you're that guy, that's got 20 bulls, I I mean, get aggressive and get online and utilize those tools. Were are were made for them, not for the big boys. Um, it's not uh, what a yeah, what an opportunity for a small breeder, in my opinion.
0: Well, and we even saw some interesting guys go to almost like a silent auction, yeah, style where you know send us what your bid is and we'll close yeah. bids on this day and then we'll dig through them and see who's got the highest. Yeah. And that was not something I had seen pre-pandemic. So,
1: I I saw that I saw a guy do that. And, you know, same deal. Had about twenty two bulls, and he said a sealed bid process, and it bumped his average probably fifteen hundred dollars a bull. You know, you look over there, and your neighbor's looking at the bull you like. I'm going to be incentivized to put a little more money on there because I want him. You get one shot. Uh, you know what would be cool is the fascinating the data, uh, behind that. I mean, like. Here's Jimmy Joe over here. He who's only given 5,000 for a bowl, but in this sealed bid deal, he gives 7,000. I didn't know he'd ever give that for a bowl. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. That's intelligent. I think what a, what a great idea. in My opinion.
0: Well, I think it's just something that seed stock producers have to get comfortable playing around with, especially if you're not running 300 bowls through your sale every year, if you're a smaller guy, you've got to toy with it. You've got to play around see what works.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you have to get innovative. Uh, you have to, if I'll be honest with you, we started when our first sale in 2017, we had 112 bulls. And so we've added a hundred bulls every year, 800. like my friend, John Dickinson from California came this year in an epic drought. And he said, Trey, you basically added another sale to this. And I said, yeah. And I'm, I was, I feel good on sale day. Um, I do, I will leave no stone unturned. I will do my homework through the year. And if it chips fall where it may uh, I'm going to learn from it and move on. But it seems like we can get them sold, but we've had to do every year. I almost have to launch a new premium program to stay competitive. Um, not only just sell the bulls I got, but the bulls I'm growing with. And uh, it's just part of the process. I mean, this is highly competitive and it's not going to get any better in my opinion, you know, with, with, most of the country, I saw like seventy-eight percent of the country is in some sort of drought, uh, and 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 ninety-four percent of it is cattle country. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we are, we this cow supply is going the wrong direction in a hurry, and selling these bulls uh, is going to get tougher and tougher until it breaks open and rains. So you have to get innovative. You have to, uh, yeah. There's a drought monitor right now. Yeah, it's part of it.
0: So I'm curious if you have seen the whole ABS getting patents on animals. They got a patent on a Holstein. Yeah. Yeah. And a Jersey cow. Yeah. Uh, I know there's a bunch of groups banding together to to protest that and say, well, you shouldn't be able to get a patent on an animal, but boy, that's got really interesting implications as far Uh, as seed stock ownership. What are your thoughts?
1: uh, I've kind of dove into that and this isn't, this is, uh, this is just a new thing for the beef and dairy industry, but this is very common in, in chicken and, and swine. And, uh, they're just trying to, and I'm telling you, we're a decade or two behind these other industries. And if you see it coming, it's probably going to get its way into the beef industry. And you know, the, the sex, uh, semen debacle and the patent on it was a huge fight. And this will be too. And now this is another leading seeding, semen company that's saying they get some kind of royalty off using this bull. And I'm going to tell you, you know my thoughts on government regulation. That is regulation. Absolutely, it is. Saying my, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now. If there's a bull out there at a semen company, I don't give a damn how good he is. If that, if this semen company is going to say we get, we're going to get a percentage if you make a herd bull, if you make a Doc Ryan we get 10% of the semen royalties. I'm out. Right. I'm going to find a different bull. I'll create my own. Um, I don't, that's not capitalism in my opinion. Um, it's not, it's using a producer that's going to put his, you know, blood, sweat and tears into this deal. And then I'm going to virtually rape and pillage them. If something good comes out of it, my, I, I turned it around on them and it said, what's going to happen if I wean a 500 pound steer or bull calf and I steer it? Do, do you still own him? Because guess what? He's at a loss. Uh, when, when they don't make the sale here, they are a loss, a huge loss. So do you own, you own 10% of him? I want a check back. Nothing. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. So they want the up, but they won't take the down. That's bullshit. Right. I, that's, it'll be interesting. And let's be honest, the, the legal, legal system is broken. And it's all about who you know and who you got on your team. And it's going to be a bloody battle through court. And I hope they end up on the right spot. But uh, it's coming, no doubt. Um, I'm worried. Yeah, I'm more worried about custom guys, you know, a commercial cattleman that buy 400 units from the said semen company. And then that company comes back on them two years later and, and you know, wants 10% of whatever, you know. I Because they, let's be honest with you, they they're not going to be educated about this at all. And uh, that's terrifying for them. I mean, we do as seed stock operators. We're very, very aware. Um, I, I'm just not going to do business with them. And I hope we hope the commercial cattlemen pay attention too, because this come no doubt.
0: That education is probably going to have to come from the seed stock producers as you're Great. developing those relationships with your customers, making sure they know, hey, this is coming. You better be paying attention.
1: Absolutely. Um, we have a uh, AI semen service here. We will go. If you buy our bulls, we will come breed your heifers for you and uh, we'll we'll hook you up with a bull that is proven and it's going to do you a good job. And that's my job to say, hey, this bull's got a royalty tied to him and I don't think you want to do that. They're going to go, what do you mean? I said, see this small print in this catalog? Yeah, we're not going to do that. Oh, yeah, you're exactly right. That's our job as seed stock operators to have that conversation. Good point.
0: Okay, so I like to end every episode asking, and I know that you are not in the Black Hereford world. You know, you're an Angus guy through and through, but Mm -hmm. you've had a little experience with them. Mm -hmm. What's one thing that you would change about Black Herefords?
1: Um, boy, that's a great question. Let's be honest with it. There's a stigma with them because it's different. They've never, they've never seen their neighbors have one. They've never seen uh, they've never seen it on a show, you know, a large show. Promotion, I, I firmly believe I'm telling I told you about that Hereford Bowl I saw two weeks ago. There's great cattle of all breeds. If you make them sound and good-footed and great through their legs, long-bodied and big pinned and masculine fronted. Uh, I don't care what color they are, but y- you guys have to get in front of this deal. Let let's just be very, very transparent about the angus breed they have a billion nonprofit marketing company in certified angus beef that is incredible leverage because guess what premium programs start at the top it started at the, the consumer recognizes the logo that that soccer mom in tampa or that family in new york ccab and they instantly correlated with quality it's 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 name recognition i was at a restaurant uh uh in the UK and I said, what kind of steak is it? And they're like, well, it's certified against beef. I'm like, that's just a stamp. I mean, is it prime? Is it choice? I mean, like what it, but even the restaurant couldn't know it's certified Angus beef. It's almost its own damn breed. Right. And it's just it's just we're out there and we're in front of them. Let's be honest with each other. Some of the best cattle we feed all year are half bloods. Um but in many breeds we have a Char cross guy that absolutely kicks ass. On gainability. And then we have a Sam Angus guy, not much, just an eighth. It's just enough in there. And it's they're they're a force to be reckoned with, but there's no premium program attached to it. You guys have we have got to get out there and educate these people that the beautiful thing about F1 and heterosis, and we can get into that, but is you guys make steers, and I've fed your steers. I know what they do for, you know, just in yield is incredible. I mean, kick the shit out of most of them. But you guys also make cows too. And that's important today where 90% of the commercial man, you know, obviously his steers all go to feed and then he keeps replacement heifers. You've got to do both. And I'd be beating the hell out of that drum. That this gives you not only a a heterosis and hybrid vigor, but it also gives you high gaining steers with a shot at prime. I mean, I've seen your kill sheets, your cattle grade very, very well. Um, plug B slash R, but, uh, they gain very, very well and they grid very, very well, but you also make, uh, you know, sustainable, uh, uh, very, very functional mother cows and what it takes to raise those steers. Um, we, It's just about education. This is what this is about, right? What we're doing right now. Yeah. Get the breed out there and get in front of these people and know that, you know, I, I know dad never did it. I, I know your neighbor never did it, but maybe try it. Maybe try two bulls on these 40 cows over here. And let's compare them and show actual data, compare their weaning weights, compare their yearling weights, compa- and then feed them. Why not just put 20 head of these steers, your biggest steers of your F1s, and then your, your straight Blacks, or your straight Hereford? I don't give a damn when he us And let's just, let's just, you know, in a world where individual IDs is, is coming, whether you like it or not, EIDs is coming. We should be able to track these cattle all the way through the supply chain and get data back and then show them. And you know what? If you, as a breeder, get to the end of the supply chain and figure out man we're we're not as competitive as we thought, fix it it's very fixable to get competitive we We have added marbling into cat- into cow herds in our program commercial program in two to three generations um very 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 quickly um so that's what's great about this industry is you can catch up in a heartbeat, but like bill Richel says you could you could jerk it out of them just as fast as you put it in too so
0: One of the things that gets me excited is if you look at membership and breeders in the Black Hereford Association, we're young. Comparatively, you look at the average age of a Hereford breeder or an Angus breeder, and we are at least a decade to 15 years younger on average. And as a lot of those breeding decisions on these commercial operations start to be handed off to the next generation, I think we're going to see an openness to new things,
1: Yeah. And boy, we're coming for you,
0: Angus boys.
1: Yeah. I love that. I mean, you, that's what I love. Uh, Joe Goggins came, did our, sold our female sale this fall. And he said, Trey, I counted 50 kids underneath the bleachers. Yeah. But let's not forget 90% of the check, the signed checks I get come from the oldest generation on the ranch. And, uh, but if you educate these young, these young families coming up that this has got a chance and to be open-minded and be innovative. uh, That's huge because one day they will write the check and uh, you capture them. Uh, It's hard to get a bull customer. Um, It's it's damn hard. And it's even harder to keep them. But uh, if you get them and get them a chance and get them part of this program, take care of them. uh, You got a shot, no doubt.
0: Well, Trey, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your vast knowledge. Yeah, with us and and this was a great conversation. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, welcome to Nebraska, guys. We're happy to have you in the beef state. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for young families in agriculture here. Young entrepreneurs, which you guys are. I commend you guys for um, you know not doing it. That's the way Dad did it, and uh, picking your family up. And that takes a lot of courage and adversity. And um, proud to guys have you guys as customers and friends, and now neighbors. So,
0: all right. Well, thank you.
1: Yes, ma'am. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.